Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company. From seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. War Games. Oh my God, this is getting old. Buy dips or sell the rips. Hey, crab walking your portfolio? Let's discuss this. And where are the safety trades? We'll get to that with our guest today, author and investor Steve Lieb. All this and much more on episode number 754 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Good day to you. How are you doing? Mentally, I bet it's kind of tough. It's tough for all of us to watch these markets like it's a hot mess of a crazy ping pong match going on. Hey, welcome to the Discipline Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Horowitz. I'm the founder and president of Horowitz & Company, investment advisor, money manager, wealth manager, whatever exactly you want to call it. We help you with your investments, your IRAs, your retirement funds. That's what we do, and we've been doing it for a long time. So that gives you the, the place where we're coming from when we talk about what is happening in the markets. In other words, it is not an exercise in academia. It is not a theoretical discussion. This is what we do each and every day all the time. So I'm kind of fresh with the information right at my fingertips, and that's why we bring on some great guests as well. You know, People say, what, what's with the guests? What are you bringing the guests on for? Well, I got to tell you something. Over the years, since 2007, what are we talking about here? We're talking about over a decade, almost and a half of doing this show. I have met some of the most incredible people in the world of investing. And that has helped me immensely. So now, not only am I providing the opportunity to bring guests on so that you can learn. But, you know, I learn too. It's a great way for me to gather data and information, learn other areas of what is going on out there. Because I do believe that we need to hear all sides of the discussion. If we are trapped inside of our own world and just seemingly a, a an echo chamber of what we believe and then reading and listening to and having our confirmation bias go along with us, dragging this piano of just, okay, please tell me I'm right all the time without listening to, and even if we don't necessarily agree with others in this area of investing, we're not doing ourselves any service at all. In fact, we're doing ourselves a very big disservice. So that doesn't mean we're bringing on somebody necessarily today that is uh, someone I don't agree with. No, but you know, that's why over the time that we talk with people, we bring every side of the discussion into play. I think our guest today is going to be kind of good at that too. Now, I want to talk about something. I want to know, I want you to know about what I did last week because many of you have asked, how was that Sailfish tournament? How did it go? It didn't go well at all. In fact, it was... 
It was a rough day. Let me kind of give you the rundown because I know a lot of you want to know about this. Here's how it started last uh, last week for the Sailfish Tournament. We started 3.30 a.m. The boat off the dock at 5 a.m. Got baited 5.40. Then we headed out to the ocean. Made a right turn. Went south 40 miles down in Miami, Key Biscayne area. Lines in the water at 7.01. Kite up in the air. Goggle eyes in the water. We had fish on the other side, bait, live bait. That's all we fished with was live bait. Fished until 3 p.m., not one sailfish. Not one. Absolutely no sailfish. We were skunked. There was a hammerhead that circled our bait for about three or four minutes until we finally shoot it away. Our baits almost had a heart attack. <laughs> I don't blame them. We caught a bonita, which is a, you can't really eat it. It's all about, it's, it's. It's a, it's a, we use it for bait after the fact. We had one dolphin, a mahi mahi, that crashed through our spread, as we call it. And uh, we didn't catch that either. We were back to the dock at 5 p.m. And that was that. There were 25 total sailfish caught in the tournament, which may seem like a lot, but it wasn't because it was 25 boats. And one boat had five. That was the winner. Now, I was on the water and I had a lot of time to think. There was not a lot else going on. And I was thinking, you know, we talked about this, this lobster trap concept, the, the mentality of savings, right? This lobster trap mentality of when you put money into the savings plan, just like when something goes into a lobster trap, it can go in very easily, but it's very difficult to get out. Think of your savings plan like that. Think of part of your portfolio that is set up for your future. Maybe it's an IRA. Maybe it's some other account that you tagged as savings, exclamation point, exclamation point. The money doesn't come out of here, and I am committed to keeping the money in that account. It goes in, and it doesn't come out until someday, one day, maybe in the future that you need it for a specific event. Maybe it's tagged for a wedding. Maybe it's tagged for a house. Maybe it's tagged for an education fund for your kids. Maybe it's tagged for something much different like retirement for yourself and your and in, in your, in your spouse for the future. Whatever it is, that lobster trap mentality is really important. Lobster goes in, doesn't come out. Now, of course, it could every once in a while escape. Just like, you know, in certain emergencies, you may have to get into that. But hopefully you have already set up an emergency account, which is just for that. But as you do that, and as you have that commitment to have a savings account that is like the lobster trap that we talk about, and you you did that and set it up, what are you doing to optimize the funds inside of that for your future to make sure the money is working for you as hard as you are working to earn it? And I started thinking about this. And I was talking to some people last week and into the earlier part of this week and they were coming to us with their accounts because they really didn't have a direction. Yeah, sure, they have investments, but they don't really have a plan. And they recognized that finally, it took them a while. They said, you know what? It seems like we are we are haphazardly putting money away and there's no real plan of how this all works together. They were saying that they have been moving around a lot and doing things in the market, has been pushing and pulling their portfolio, but they haven't been making a lot of progress. And I started thinking, you know what that is? That's crab walking, keeping it in the genre of crustaceans, moving left and right, not forward. And I started thinking, are people doing this? And probably there's a lot of people that are doing this. 
that their portfolios are crab walking, moving left and right, back and forth, lots of movement, lots of of, of, of movement in, in, in the direction all over the place, but in the direction necessarily that they want to go. Yes, sure, a crab will get to where they want to go because they're going to face sideways to get there. But I want you to consider, and if you haven't seen a crab walk, go look it up. They move left and right pretty much, and they move backwards too to a degree. But if your portfolio is just shaking around, not making that forward progress, what's the point? We want to forge ahead with purpose, with a plan. And while you may be wrong here and there and what your purpose is and how you're doing things, because maybe the markets are knocking you around a little bit, but the idea is to make advancements forward, not to look back. And you have to be careful not to just simply move sideways. Now, this year, it's been tough to be too committed to any one direction as, as I guess, the, the, the investment road has been really squirrely and curvy and lots of potholes in it. And it's been very difficult. I know that we could see that from not only our investments, but what's going on just generally in the markets. But when there's a, the idea of a full-scale war or, or rate hikes that are going to move up really quickly or something that we don't even know about, we need to have a plan. The plan is the plan. No crab walking at least for too long, there is maybe a time that you can think about when you want to have a much more, I would say, conservative outlook on things. And a lot of people want to do that right now. We're seeing that the change from a year ago when people came to us that said, oh, absolutely, I want to make as much money as possible, to now where they're saying, you know, I want to make sure I don't lose so much money. It's been a very change in the, I would call the texture of things, very much like we're seeing in the markets where companies even come out with good numbers. As we saw NVIDIA last week, they came out with good numbers, record, record numbers. And what happened to the stock post earnings? The texture has changed with investors. And we've been talking about inflation, which is one of the biggest issues right now that is going on. So is everyone. Let's be honest. I tuned in to a conversation that was blasting in my face at my father-in-law's house. The, the volume was on 100. I couldn't miss it. On the TV, it was on MSNBC. They're talking about inflation and how it's bad for people and this and that. And this whole inflation issue and the classification of where and who and what. And we've also been talking about, though, what to do about it because they don't, they don't, they're, they're involved in the media with just scaring you about what's going on, but not what you could do about it. We've also talked about what we can't do about it what asset classes fit in historically, how things would work. It's pretty fascinating, though, this topic, because we need to consider that we were in a slightly different situation than we were in the past, whereas back in the 80s, was there this level of supply chain issue that was really hitting and causing prices to move as we were? Are, are there tariffs, which is a topic we need to get into, that are causing additional pricing crimps? That's not being talked about. We have nationalism that's going on. We have this pandemic schema that we see. There's a lot of, of differences, but yet a lot of similarities at the same time. And all of this needs to be dealt with. But how do you deal with this from a portfolio standpoint, from a mental standpoint? And for that, 
We're going to go into a discussion with this week's guest, Steve Lieb. He's author of the latest book, China's Rise and the New Age of Gold, How Investors Can Profit from a Changing World. He's also editor of the award-winning publication, The Complete Investor. So we're going to get uh, to that. So welcome, Steve. How are you? Hi, Andrew. I guess as well as can be expected, uh, this world is not what I had hoped it would be. Well, it's what I thought it would be, but not certainly not what I hoped it would be. I think we're in uh, unprecedented times, to be very honest. Yeah, I, I had a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I, I, I named the podca um, podcast Pear-Shaped. <laughs> it's like the world has gone pear-shaped, right? I, I, I guess. I have trouble with those geometric uh, uh, metaphors. Well, it's not round. Let's put it that way. Right. No, it is not round. And uh, I think that we're at the uh, less round part of the uh, pair right. at this point. Right. And that's a shame. That's our doing. Uh, and it's, it's really, it's, it's tragic in a way. Yep. I mean, and I, I don't think, I don't think just to get into this, this one little topic a little bit further, I don't think we know how to undo it. You don't think we knew how to undo we it? We don't or? know how you said it's our doing. I do not think we know how to undo it. No. Well, not the way we're going now. We certainly don't know. I, I can tell you, you know, how to undo it is to impose monetary discipline, but that is <laughs> going to be. <laughs> Good luck. Right, I know. <laughs> but, but you know, in the end, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, when historians write the, uh, the, the history of these times, either China will be, uh, uh, you know, the villain, I guess, for America, or they, they, they could be the hero because it might be because of China that we readopt monetary discipline. I mean, the point that I made in my book 20, uh, the, the most recent book, actually, the one I just published or published about in 2020, I think, was that uh, basically uh, this all started 50 years ago when we went off the gold standard. I mean, if you look at America post-war uh, up through the early 70s, uh, you, you, you can uh, make a case that America was possibly the greatest economy that ever was. Yeah. It rivaled the best days of the Roman Empire. Uh, the only time that, uh, the only real rival, I, you know, in the Western world, this part of the globe, would have been America uh, post-Civil War. We were also a great economy. In the Industrial day. Revolution you're talking about, in that kind of Yeah, sort of. Phase. When, when, we, when we started to rise and become a major power, right. And by the time between the uh, end of the uh, Civil War, so maybe 10, five, 10 years after, and the beginning of the First World War, I mean, America was, you know, basically uh, pivotal in the First World War. I mean, it was an amazing transformation. Uh, and, the, you know, if you look at both those periods, Andrew, what you find is in both of them, we were on a gold standard. The gold standard is you know, people say gold's a, a, a barbaric relic. I mean, you, you hear all these sure. statements about gold, but the good thing about it is that it imposes monetary discipline. I mean, I'm not a gold bug per se. I'm, I'm a discipline bug per, per se. I mean, you cannot have freedom. Freedom doesn't exist without discipline and without you know, some way of, you know, imposing a, a need to regard others mm -hmm. and take others into consideration. America in the post-war period, I mean, it, it was a wonderful country. 
I mean, the leaders of uh, corporate leaders took an interest in the country. Uh, there weren't these 10,000 to one uh, uh, ratios between, uh, you know, what the uh, head of a corporation got paid and what the workers got paid. It, it, it was 100 to one. I mean, it was capitalism. It really was. But it was capitalism at its finest, where growth had to come from productivity, not from money printing. But once we went off the gold standard, it was just like a child at a candy store. You, the only thing that's going to make that child stop eating candy is if he gets, he or she, excuse me, gets very sick. And uh, we are very sick at this point. I hate to say it. I really do. But that, that, that's the story. But how does, how does just simply going back, I mean, I, I have so many different things to talk about, but how to just, just talk about how, how is it that, that, just simply going back to a gold standard or a backed financial currency solves all these problems. It doesn't solve them immediately. It's not like uh, uh, taking a, uh, you know, a, a, a drug or something that is going to have a immediate effect. It's going to be a very painful solution. I mean, we, we have a big price to pay yet. And uh, in the end, though, I think it'll be worth it. Americans are... You know, they're unique. I mean, they're very creative if they're left to their own devices. If they don't have all this money dangling in front of them that's there for the taking, they're very creative. Uh, every bit of technology you see today, we're talking to each other, uh, I don't know how many thousands of miles away, and having this conversation courtesy mm -hmm. of American technologies. Virtually everything you see in the world today, technologically speaking, from the internet, from uh, uh, the laser, from, uh, I, I mean, it, it, the list just goes on and on. From the transistor, I mean, how can I forget the transistor and Shockley? Uh, and and what basically happened is that you know, once we went off the gold standard, we stopped developing technologies. I mean, it's not not. Wait, wait, what does one have to do with the other? Because there's no need for it. If you can get all the money and you can print all the money you need, ah. why should you, you know, pay or what? What's the incentive for? spending five or 10 years to develop these kinds of technologies. There's no immediate payback. I mean, this America, the great America after the second world, after the second world war, Bell Labs is, is probably the quintessential yeah. example of what went wrong with America. And Xerox too, put them together. Well, yes, together. But Bell Labs in particular, you could not name an important invention today that was not part of Bell Labs in its creation from the internet, from uh, again, the laser, from uh, the big bang theory, from information theory, you know, how, how to make it possible to translate analog into digital, that was Shannon. All these people came out of Bell Labs, which was then part of a monopoly controlled monopoly called AT&T. And uh, they were subsidized in effect. I mean, implicitly subsidized by the government. I mean, there was nothing wrong with that. They were still a, pri a private company. I mean, a public company that traded. They were considered the, uh, the, the widows and orphans stock. 
always paid a dividend. Their rate of return was controlled. I mean, they were controlled utility, except yeah. they're, you know, they're, they're, uh, um, they're, their province included uh, the entire country and mm-hmm. communications, which was probably wrong, was probably too much. But when we decided to break up Bell Labs, that was sort of, you know, one of the major steps after we went off the gold standard that told you, hey, we're not in Kansas anymore, guys. Mm-hmm. We're in a, a in a world in which investment bankers are ruling the roost. I mean, instead of putting Bell Labs, I mean, they had a choice because Bell Labs was not a moneymaker. So when they broke up AT&T, Bell Labs was sitting there. They were then part of Western Electric, which, which made the equipment. And um, they were not a profitable company. So when they broke them up, uh, they had a choice where to keep them, where to put them. The logical thing would have been to put them with one of the baby bells, which had a franchise, which was going to continue, which could have been regulated in such a way as to keep Bell Labs functioning. No. What did we do? We put them with Lucid. We uh, united, tied a knot between Bell Labs and the weakest of the of the uh, AT&T parts that were, you know, that, that came from the breakup. And Lucent went bankrupt uh, and Bell Labs ends up being a shadow of itself today. I think it's part of Nokia. It's not even U.S. anymore. And again, you know, to make the story kind of complete, the winners in this were, were not Americans. I mean, they, they, they lost big time. Mm-hmm. They lost a source of their major resource. Uh, uh, probably the biggest resource we've ever had in one place assembled, MIT, uh, uh, DARPA. I mean, public, private, everybody was in there together, you know, driving this, uh, you know, very creative uh, style. I mean, this they they had they felt they had time they could experiment they and they did and they produced we destroyed that and you know who won the mm. uh, the uh, bankers the uh, oh, always win. Equity. they always they win. win they won and and America lost you know and they say the that end, if, if 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 I ever die and had a choice about being reincarnated I'd come back as a bank I, I would come <laughs> back as a bank yeah. if, if if there's money discipline. Because it's not going to do them any good in the end. I mean, you know, basically, I I don't see this having a happy ending. Again, you said, how do you cure it? How do you, you know, I I mean, I'm sort of, I've been forecasting for some time that we're going to go back to a kind of gold standard. And I, I think it'll be a collection of currencies, which is backed by gold. And China's studying the ball rolling as we speak. I mean, they've introduced the digital yuan. Uh, they're way ahead of us, way ahead of everybody, which is a joke. I mean, China, you know, basically they're, they're creative in their own way, but they're not creative like we were. I mean, we're, we're creative in an industrial sense. I mean, they're creative in sort of a broad perspective way. Right. And um, it, it, it's... We, we, we've got to get back to where we were. And the only way we're going to do it is pay a price for 50 years of profligacy. Yeah, but nobody wants to do that. Let's be honest, Steve. I mean, nobody wants to feel the pain. Nobody wants to diet. Let's just get that straight. That's what this is. Nobody wants to go on a diet unless they absolutely have to until they get well, to a point of requiring bariatric surgery. 
<laughs> yeah, I think we require it now. <laughs> I think we're at that point. I think China has, you know, unfortunately, you know, really, they've topped us. Well, I mean, okay. They, they, so let me ask you a few questions here, because when we talk about going back to the gold standard, is that is that different than your desire to own gold? I mean, there's silver, there's platinum, there's palladium, there's all sorts of different things out there that you can actually own. There's, in fact, you talk about the digital currencies, cryptocurrencies, things of that nature. What is it about particularly gold that's so important? Okay, in today's world, what we're seeing right now, Andrew, is a scarcity of resources. This is the driver of inflation. This is why inflation is intractable. And it's because basically we use too many resources and uh, we have to curb that. Fracking, which everyone you know was in such a tizzy about, they thought that finally America is energy independent. No, fracking, uh, I, you know, I've done the numbers. You, you, you can argue we lost anywhere from half a trillion to a trillion dollars with our fracking, not because it could not have been a successful business and it probably still will be, but to ramp it up at the speed that we ramped it up cost us so much energy and so much energy that we could use right now uh, to, to basically help the world. I mean, you see the kind of crisis we're in right now. Mm -hmm. You have these intractable inflationary problems, shortage of critical resources across the board. And at the same time, shortage of skilled labor. That's another thing that went by the wayside when we went off the gold standard, when we lost discipline, is that uh, our education went to it became shoddy, it, it, you know, second rate. I'm, I'm, but I'm having, I'm having a difficulty tying some of these things together. Let's give our okay, audience let, a little bit of a little bit of perspective. When do we go off the gold standard? What year was that? 1971. 1971. And you think that amongst other, it has to be amongst other decisions and things that were done were the reason for some of these things. It's not just, you're not saying that just going off the gold standard no, was the break in our that, educational Capacity. No, that punctuated that, that that punctuated what was happening. Until that point, there was still some discipline. There was still a chance we could have gone back. I mean, the big, I mean, the history of the era was, uh, uh, you know, prior to that, there was Vietnam, which was tremendous amount of spending. And basically, the dollar was backed by gold, and anyone could exchange, and, and was the reserve currency, but it was a backed reserve currency. And any country could exchange, uh, you know, wh whatever dollars they had for gold. But when America started spending all this money on the Great Society and the Vietnam War, guns and butter, I don't know whether they remember the phrase, but uh, it was, you know, common at that time, uh, we ran into, you know, we were spending too much money. And eventually came 1971, we just couldn't maintain the gold standard. Too many people were uh, demanding, too many countries were demanding that we give them gold instead of dollars because they knew that we were, we couldn't maintain the backing. We were going to run out of gold. Mm. And that's what happened. And I just want to add the thing about gold that makes it special for this, you know, as special as a backer of currencies. And this is kind of, it's ironic, is that gold is the only metal that is prized, not for its industrial uses, 
I mean, we use gold for, for, some, for some things. It's a catalyst. It, it, it has very special properties, but we can substitute those properties. We could use copper, we could use silver, we can use other uh, metals than gold. So gold basically, it's only property that makes it so prized is that we're never gonna run out of it. I mean, we'll, we'll continue to mine it and it'll continue to you know, increase the uh, above ground gold. But uh, we, I mean, there's some people that argue we have as much gold as we've ever had. I mean, not, not an ounce of gold, or that's an exaggeration, but almost no gold has been destroyed in, in thousands of years. At the same time, Gold is prized today as much as it was 5,000 years ago. I mean, gold is prized because it's beautiful. Now, I don't know what makes it beautiful. Uh, and, you know, we, you know, this is a discussion for the philosophers, but it nevertheless is prized. It has very special properties that make it prized. It's impossible, almost impossible to tarnish. It, it, you can, it's malleable. You can stretch it. You can make jewelry out of it. And, and it, people think of it as beautiful. And they always have. And I don't know whether that's a platonic ideal or it just comes from the fact that it, it's, it's a brand. And its brand is a currency. It's always been a currency. Well, it's a tradable, borrowable. It's a, it's a, it's a exactly. something that can be used as with, with a valuation, although not easy. You know, I always, I think I've talked to you about this. I said, you know, people say, what are you, you going to do when you have to get down in the bunker? You know, that, that, that day that you're going to make that decision on what are you bringing with you? You know, currency's not going to be worth anything, right? Once that, no, all, you bring gold. You bring, well, you I bring I, a currency. See, I bring, bring, I bring tuna fish and oil. Right. Well, you have to eat or else gold does nothing. But then I also have the ability. See, here's, let me explain something to you. You're going to go with me on this because you're the guy that can think like this. Tuna fish and oil has a lot of great properties. First of all, you got to eat. Second of all, use the oil. You can use it for heating. You can use it for making sure your skin stays soft and things like that nature. You could use it for lighting. You could take that, that tin, cut the top off and use it as a, as a, as a water collector or as a, maybe a, a bowl. And then also that top that you take off is very sharp. You can use it as a weapon or a knife. Lots of good uses for a can of tuna. Terrific oil. idea. <laughs> terrific idea, Andrew. It really is. It's, it's very creative and it's a terrific idea. And it's, it's more important than gold. I'll give you credit for that because, you, you know, if you don't survive, whatever is We're going on the tuna standard. You, you, you have to, you know, basically have a way of surviving. Yes. Yep. Yep. But if you want a currency and you don't have enough tuna, what are you going to give people that somebody who has a surplus of tuna? Yep. Are you going to give them uh, paper money? <laughs> Seriously, yeah, right. are they going to trade their tuna for paper money? There's only one possible metal, one possible item that you will not need for basic survival that they still might take in exchange. And that would be gold. There's nothing else. I mean, it's been around for 5,000 years. People 5,000 years ago, I mean, I use that, I don't know if it's exactly 5,000. They, they were in situations that you're describing. And in those situations, if you needed more tuna, more oil, more weaponry, the only possibility of buying it, exchanging it, 
uh, uh, well, the, there'd be possibilities if you had uh, extra tuna and the other guy had extra oil, you could trade tuna for oil. Yes. Right. But aside from that, if you wanted a third item, not necessary for your, you know, uh, uh, basic essentials, protecting yourself, eating, staying alive, and you wanted to try and buy something, the only real choice would be gold. So, so uh, but, but let's just, I want to, I want to, I want to stop you right there because I want to talk about gold as an investment now. There's a differential, right? Gold as a backing for the currency, gold as a standard, gold as utilizing it for the concept of going back to monetary sanity, okay, mm -hmm. in terms of the backing is much different. I think that's a different discussion than gold as a currency, uh, and, and it, as investment, I should say. Okay. As investment. I, it, it is and it isn't. Um, it's it's because one reason is that the kind of gold standard you're going to need in today's world. I mean, gold works so beautifully as a uh, backup because uh, in the past, I mean, when I'm talking the 1870s, even in the uh, uh, post-war period, it could have worked uh, because um Basically, enough gold was created or mined every year uh, to match population growth. So there was automatically more gold available mm. to back currencies. But now in today's huge world, see, what really changed everything was the emergence of China and middle income countries, not just China, but other middle income countries uh, uh, that basically now have surpassed high-income countries. Forget about China and the U.S. for a second. Just think middle-income and high-income. For 50, 60 years, high-income countries had a greater GDP purchasing power parity. You know, the goods that, that, that we produced and right. high-income right. countries right. produced were more than what middle-income countries produced, mm -hmm. even though middle-income countries have many times the population that high-income countries had. Right. That changed in 2015. Everybody makes a big deal about 2017 because that's when China overtook the U.S. if you use GDP purchasing power parity. But it was really 2015 when middle-income countries overtook high-income countries. What this meant is that demand for commodities was going to be a major driver, was going to sort of be the major driver in world economic growth. Because what do middle-income countries need? They need commodities to develop, to further their development. High-income countries really don't need commodities to further their development. They need more technology, services, etc. But because world growth was being driven by middle-income countries, commodities became critical. My guess is one reason you're in this pickle today, it's more than a pickle, I'm using, you know, kind of like a euphemism for the kind of situation we're in, is that arguably 2021, in which middle-income countries' growth was maybe the greatest or one of the greatest we've ever had, given the size of middle-income countries uh, today, uh, we probably saw the greatest increase, by probably by quite a bit, in commodity demand. I mean, all commodities. The demand for all commodities went crazy in the wake of the pandemic. I mean, this would not happen if it were just high income countries that were ruling the roost. And as early as 2007 and 8, 9, when we had the meltdown 
it wasn't as severe because, you know, middle-income countries were then smaller than high-income countries in terms of what they produced, et cetera. But it was still very, very bad. But that is one of the key differences is the demand for commodities today is off the charts. Oh, and, and you know, one of the things that I think people fail to recognize, especially people who don't travel and, and maybe don't even think through this at all, is that they're just in, just in China, there are five times as amount of people that are in the United States. People. It's true. Just people. It's true. It's I'm not true, talking about. Andrew. I'm not talking about demand per se. I'm talking about people. Yeah. And and, and the span. How about of, India? Well, of course, same thing. India. That's what I'm saying. Same thing. It's, it's, it's really, I was just picking one country. But right. when, when you look at when you look at also the expanse of the north, south, east, west of land that is occupied by China mm -hmm. and the amount of people that are there. There are people everywhere all the time. There's people everywhere. They're all over the place and they need roads and they, they don't want to sit. Go. They don't want, they don't want to sit inside in a hot in the South. They don't or wherever the heat is at that moment. They don't want to sit inside in the heat. They want to have air conditioning or vice and versa. They want to have, um, you know, they want, they want to have a good amount of, of heating or, or, they, or how about running water and toilets? And that's what's going on right, right. now. Modi, how about, how on toilet control. I mean, some of the stocks that we look at, I mean, almost everything has a, a, a commodity uh, uh, touch to it, a commodity uh, uh, derivative to it. I mean, so a, a stock like Dakin, which is a uh, Japanese company, which is, you know, struggling a bit now, but, you know, they're making air conditioning affordable for Africans. And, you know, Africa is a home of so many resources, mm -hmm. it has to be developed. It's right. it's completely undeveloped. It's not even middle income. It's well, low I was there. I was there. Couple of, I was there a couple of summers ago. You've been there. Have you been to South Africa? Uh, South Africa, no. But that's not what I'm talking but about. South, South Africa is just is as bad. A bit better developed. No, no. Than, but than, South Africa has some really good development. But there's plenty of shanty towns, and that's just in that area. Totally. But you you stretch out the rest of Africa. Yes, I totally agree. Maybe with your side of some areas of North Africa, but we're talking about you know. The fat of the Central Africa is, I mean, terribly underdeveloped. It's horribly underdeveloped, and, and we could benefit from the development. I mean, we don't have enough high-grade copper in this uh, in the West right now to satisfy the needs that we, we have for, you know, making electric vehicles. They're very copper-intensive. And, you know, everything is copper-intensive, from, uh, you know, EVs to uh, uh, a power, uh, you know, getting our power, our pipes, our, mm -hmm. you know, power pipes, <laughs> whatever. Right. No, no, it's, it's very, but that's what we, we see. But here's, the, but here's the problem we have on top of the fact that nobody thought this modern monetary theory that was going on, which is what it was, MMT, let's be oh, honest. it's crazy. Okay, that, just, that we could just pour on money and everybody followed along. Every country followed it, along. It wasn't going to create it, any problems. It, it, it's like the Pied Piper. It's, yeah. it's like the emperor has yeah. no new, has no clothes. Right. I mean, little boy had to shout it out. Right. Everybody was saying, oh, wow, that's a beautiful suit. It's invisible. I appreciate that. And I appreciate that, you know, yeah. whatever. Exactly. I don't want to make a dirty joke about it. No. But I mean, you're totally right. It's, it, it's, it's really, it's mass psychology. I mean, that's why I talk about freedom in the context of discipline. I mean, if you look at what's going on today, in this country, you just have 
you know, sort of a collective here, uh, which is a progressive collective, which believes that transgender and everything else is, you know, has to be totally respective. And then you have a collective here, which, you know, believes that we need an authoritarian type government. And then you have some sort of small, tiny middle. And um, it's the collectives never think they're, they're not free. Their, their thinking is what everyone else around them is thinking. Right. And I think the only edge I have, Andrew, if I have an edge at all, is uh, when I was still in college, I heard about the Milgram experiments. And I don't know people, I'm not going to get into that right now, but it's very easy, too easy to brainwash people. Mm-hmm. And I just said to myself, maybe I was you know, prone to say to myself, I will, I, I'm, I'm going to adhere to that. I'm never going to listen to experts unless I can sort of prove or accept what they're saying. It's a good rule to live by. And it, you know, requires a, you know, a sort of kind of a religious belief that it's possible to, you know, step aside. And, well, and then uh, it, but, but it's also, it, 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 there's hypnosis, hypnotic, it's follow the crowd, it's the it's penguins. Absolutely. All that. But there's all also that. something else, Stephen. There's also something else. It's the mesmerizing moment, right? A mesmer, different, it's different now. There's the mesmerizing with the cameras and the flashing and the movement and the the stock charts and the things and the money and the oh well, sure with the it's, social it's, media it's, and all it's, this it's it's really corrupting our everything. our independent thinking totally totally you're totally right you're completely right yeah. yes I mean yes it is social media it, it is I mean you know we're talking frankly and I you know I can't stand it. I mean, you know, the, the shaming that goes on. I mean, it, it, it's very, mm. it's very tough. What, I mean, what social media did to this, you know, Russian girl. I mean, what's a fifteen-year-old? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't want to get into it. Well, I let's mean, get, not, but let's bring this back for a second. Let's talk about where this is in the investment world, where this is in the okay, in the area exp- of, of, of 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 all of this, okay. and and how people. How a lot of people, and I, and I want my listeners to really listen to this, and I don't know exactly what I was going to say, frankly, but uh, w- w- at least what we talk about here, because I think so many of us get caught up with, it used to be very simple. It used to be we get caught up in the in the golf talks and the guy saying, hey, Roger, you know, <laughs> I have this wonderful stock that did really well yesterday. Right, exactly. And, uh, they never tell you about their losses, though. And we'd have no. the country club talk, and we'd have the party talk, and we'd have all that. And it was very much small, right? It was this, it was bragging. It was what it was. But now you have a much bigger pool of these experts that everybody's an expert. Everybody's an expert. Everybody, and, and, and you listen to them like, okay, well, I guess, I guess they got a microphone like me here. You must be an expert. So, right. but, but what, it's, how is it going to break? How are we going to break from this? Obviously it's not just by going on the gold standard, but it's got to be something. Well, I think discipline and I think a focus back on productivity would, would do it. I mean, we have the smarts in this country. I think the America, uh, Amer- America, what it was, can be what it is. But uh, it's going to take, I think, a crisis to bring it about. And I think it might be the, the largest and worst crisis that this country's ever experienced. How could, could it be worse than a pandemic? Pandemic? What's worse than Probably. a pandemic? Well, obviously, if a pandemic is bad enough, everybody dies and nothing, you know, that that's the end of everything. But I'm talking about a monetary Ah. social crisis. Okay. Not, not a health crisis. But but Steve, how about this? Can I, can I add to this? Can I put a little bit of an extra point on this? A monetary crisis that is not bailed out immediately. 
can't be. Right. How do you bail yourself out? Well, you know what I said? The problem is the money you're printing. When we had the problem, when we had the uh, crisis in 2008, 2009, what had happened was that the individuals got in over the heads. The bank took over the crap. You follow what I'm saying? The Mm -hmm. banks failed. And what happened? The government came in. Mm-hmm. The problem is now the banks failed. The government came in. No longer are the banks doing that. The government is now doing the bailout. Question is, who bails out the government? No one. And yep. th- this is exactly the issue. I can. I think I can frame it in, in, in these terms. Up till now, any problem that America has had could be solved by printing money. Even the pandemic, to some extent, this applied to. We printed massive amounts of money to get, you know, vaccines out as quickly as we could. And we and we did it. I mean, it, it, it worked. Any problem that America has had could be solved by money. But there's one problem that cannot be solved by money, oh. a fundamental scarcity of resources, mm. a fundamental scarcity of oil, a fundamental scarcity of, of your tuna and oil mm. that you need to survive. The food prices are jumping off uh, you know, jumping up the mountain right now. I mean, they're, you know, at prices we've never had before. And I don't know what's going to slow them down. And just one thing I wanted, to, you know, wanted to get back to, because you asked me before, and I, I guess I suffer from ADHD. I mean, it's fair. Don't we all? Me. Don't we all? <laughs> don't we? <laughs> see, I go off track. The gold standard that we're going to see, in my opinion today, is going to be a floating gold standard. It has to be. Because of the scarcity of resources and the more the more we're going to need to back up, uh, it, it, it's going to we're going to have to see gold rise and rise dramatically and basically continue to rise as we need more and more of these resources and they become more and more costly. But it will have to be set at <coughs> excuse me at a level continually at levels that will allow for some growth or for as much growth as possible. So, I mean, my guess is, um, you know, as soon as gold is mentioned by the Chinese, probably by the Chinese is backing up the one implicitly the one is mm-hmm. already backed up by mm-hmm. gold right now, as we speak, if you have one and you're in China and you're in the uh, uh, one of those uh, uh, enterprise zones, you can take your one and get gold for it. And, you know, if you have oil uh, that you sold for Juan and uh, you want to get gold for your Juan, you can do it. I mean, China will is, is implicitly backing it up. But as soon as this becomes apparent that this is the way the world is going, my guess is you're going to have a massive, uh, uh, you know, uptick in the price of gold. I would say 5000 from there. It's going to be more gradual. And, uh, it, you know, but I think eventually you could see, easily see gold. Look, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, I'm looking at it right now, though it's down about 100. No, wait, the Dow Jones is down about 600. Uh, it's still at 3,400. Remember when That's it was at 800 in, yeah. in, in 1982? Uh, yeah. Don't talk about that. Yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> well, that was for that day. That was good. But that's the inflating part of it where you have all assets inflate as we've had this downward right. direction for years and years and years and years on all this. Ironically, By the way, if I may correct you on something. Sure. So I've been to China I and I to studied, I've studied one particular item pretty well. The word yuan, as you say it, right? Yes. Is actually the way they pronounce it in China is yuan. 
Okay, I'll never get that. I mean, I my, my efforts to learn ma- Mandarin, it's one of the things that I just am not good at. Well, I, I perfected it one word. That's all I got. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's all there is. I can't get there. Look, I, I, <laughs> oh, and also, know, wait, wait. Bing Pigio. Bing Pigio is important one also, which means cold beer. <laughs> well, I'm a little allergic to beer, which is the only reason I don't need bariatric surgery right now. If I, if I had love beer, like it. I, I, I don't think I'd be talking to you today. I would be dead. I mean, because I, you know. So, so, to, so to bring this back onto where you talked about the potential for having gold as the exchangeable solution to other areas, you believe very much, by the way, Stephen Lieb, like many of those crypto folks out there, they believe Bitcoin is the way. You believe gold is the way. It's very similar, to be honest with you, that you believe that there is an alternative currency required to have an offset right. against the dollar for some reason. And whatever the reason may be, some may be the same, some may be different, but it's a very similar concept. It is. There, there's no doubt. My, my basic problem uh, with, with, with Bitcoin is that it consumes tremendous amounts of energy. And uh, it, it, it's difficult to see a, a coin that is using energy as a resource become. Uh, uh, what if it didn't? Know. What if it didn't? I'm just asking. If it didn't, let's just kind of let's kind of go into fairy tale land. What if Bitcoin did not consume all that energy for some ungodly reason? It just doesn't. Okay, I think it would have to be accepted by everybody uh, for reasons uh, that are apart from any. Uh, use it has in industry. And I don't mean just, you know, uh, uh, you know, mining or, or making steel, et cetera. I, I mean, in social contracts, et cetera. And it, it, it's hard to see that happening. See, the thing with gold is that no one has a problem with it. Everyone accepts it. And well, that's you need why- to, wait, to, to extract gold, you have to use trucks, you have to use, and then you have to uh, refine it. But you don't need to. You could stop right here not extract any more, and you would still have what you need. So what happened, oh, and Bitcoin, because of the transaction, forget about mining, but the, tra- right. because once we get past the 21 million coins right now, um, you won't have to mine anymore, but you would have to still do the confirmation of transaction, which would require yes. a substantial amount of energy, right? Okay. It does, mm-hmm. it does. It requires a tremendous amount of energy and also can be hacked. You can't hack the old gold. No, no hacking the gold. In no hacking the gold. No, 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 you cannot. Yes, exactly right. You can, it, 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 all you need is something to keep it yeah. secure. Yeah. And uh, that, that, that's why. And, you know, what, what I'm saying is that, you know, right now, I don't own much of anything other than gold for myself. Uh, my clients, I, I'm way overweighted in gold, but, you know, they, they want a diversified portfolio and I can't blame them. I mean, you know, I, I don't need I get the stock market as a source of income right now. I yep. needed it as a source of protection. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I basically own gold, but I own ETFs and things like that, which I don't think is the right thing to own. If you're really. No, of course, if, if you're going down this, this path, it can't be because no, those I are backed by the dollars. I think I'm wrong. You have to own physical gold. I got I mean, coins. I have the pandas. Yeah. I think you need physical gold and you need to store it. My wife doesn't believe me. And in this house, we have a very democratic uh, household. Uh, I get a vote and my wife gets two. Oh, so yes. that, that's the that's way it. that that's it. That's uh, here, we're going to end on that. Stephen Lieb, I really appreciate it. All your time and coming here. You got to check out his book. 
China's rise and the new age of gold, how investors can profit from a changing world. So check out all the things that he has to offer over on any places that has some great books. You know that name, the great store in the sky probably has it and all. But uh, we'll put all more information on the website under episode number 754 on thedisciplinedinvestor.com. Stephen Lieb, thanks so much for joining me again. Thank you, Andrew. I'm sorry I went on so much. No, but, you're the you know. best. No, it's great. It's awesome. <laughs> it's great. That's what it's all about. It's an, listen, it's a, it's a podcast with audio. If we don't go on and stuff, we have no audio. So therefore, we're good. As Or should I say, you're golden. <laughs> well, I have your picture to look at, and you look like you're golden. I wish I could trade. I'm, I'm in a flannel shirt. I, I hope people, you can't see me then. I didn't even, okay. That's I great. It. All right, Stephen, appreciate it. We'll do it again soon. Okay, Andrew. Hey, good luck with your sailing. Have hey, a wonderful thanks. trip, really. All right, thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye, bye-bye Andrew. Bye. And that's going to wrap it up for this edition. Listen, you got to think, when it comes time for the bunker and everything goes diagonally reversed upside down, are you going to be taking gold or tuna in oil into the bunker? We even talked about cryptocurrencies And is that something that would be worthwhile, particularly Bitcoin? Some of the topics we talked about today, of course, with Stephen Lieb. Check out all that is is to offer on the show notes for this episode over on thedisciplinedinvestor.com, episode number 754. And don't forget, by the way, one of the things you can do is to try to figure out if it is something that you want to do. You can go over to investology.com. The link is on the show notes. It's on the disciplinedinvestor.com as well. That is our entry level, $10,000 minimum where you can get a taste of how we manage money for you. And it's, well, our robo-esque style. It's the advisor-crafted, technology-enhanced platform that we put together for you, actually, because you asked us to do so. One of the things that's happening right now, of course, we know that markets are not, well, cooperating too well. And maybe what we're seeing is a give back from the exceptional levels that were pushed during the pandemic. Those, those mountains that we see on the charts are now giving way to valleys that maybe are getting a little bit long in the tooth. Maybe there is something to be said about things go too far in any one direction. And it's starting to look like that in a lot of names. And there's some opportunities that are really presenting themselves if you're willing to be patient. And that's what it's all about. Disciplined investing for long haul. So check out all the things that we have to offer on the disciplinedinvestor.com. And we'll be here again with you next week. Same time, same channel. Thanks for joining me.
Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates or affiliates.